Teddy Conover, thanks so much for coming on episode 51 of the podcast. I'm pumped to have you in. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, the students that have been on here have been pretty great. Tem, uh, Tucker and Charlie Nuremberger, I think, and Carter Spawn. We had um, Carter Spawn, I think was the first student uh-huh. on here. And then, or no, sorry, Tucker Heber was the first student. Then we had mm-hmm. Carter and his dad, Jared Spawn came on and then, uh, Tem and then just posted, uh, Charlie Nuremberg. That's, yeah. that's about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, uh, I, I've loved the podcast ever since you have started it. I think it's a really cool idea, you know, not, not just teachers, not just students. You've gotten, I know John Harbaugh on here and, uh, Joe Ehrman and some things like that. So. Um, really, really great what you're doing here. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a ton of fun. And Cesare uh, has been awesome to work with. He he sets everything up. So I wouldn't know where to start with all this stuff. Yeah. The I mean, mics uh, and the cameras. We, uh, we I, I ran a podcast in here, still do, called Houndwave Sports. And we set uh, this place up with your health, uh, Cesare, back in my soft, beginning of my sophomore year. Um, and the table configuration was a little different and we didn't have all these fancy cameras on us. And, uh, it was very, you know, very rudimentary setup, but, um, we got, we got some, some listeners and, uh, talked about everything from like football to some school sports and things like that. And it was a blast. So, so where'd that idea come from for Houndwave? So yeah, my friend Taylor West, um, you know, came up with the idea. He was like, you know, we love sports and we're pretty into it. So, um, may as well talk about it. Podcasts weren't quite as big back then as they were as they are now. They've experienced a huge in two growth. Two years, really. Yeah, I, I mean, just a massive growth uh, in the last few years. Um, I know Apple Podcasts and Spotify have recorded just massive growth in uh, listenership, and just is that where you posted your Houndwave stuff to those channels? Yeah, yeah. We originally used a software called Anchor, um, which is a pretty user friendly uh, platform to. Uh, record and edit and upload podcasts and you can you know listen to a lot of other ones um and then after a few of them we were like we should start putting this on some more platforms so um they make it so easy like spotify i only had some issues with my logo and some Mm -hmm. of the parameters with uploading that but otherwise it's very easy to get all your stuff on the spotify and apple music yeah well you guys have such good audio and also like i love the little piano intro and it's uh, all cesare yeah that's 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 crisp (laughs) Um, and I think that, uh, you know, if you put just like a little bit of attention to it, edit the audio a little bit and just make it sound better, you can, you can really attract a pretty nice audience, which I I know you have with this. Well, the biggest thing I think are the microphones. These are like, these are the best in the (laughs) business right here that we're lucky to, to have on deck. Um, do you listen to podcasts a lot on, on your own? I do. Uh, I, I listen to, to a good amount. Yes. And then also I like getting recommendations from others. Um, my dad listens to a huge number of podcasts. I feel like I see a lot from, uh, teachers. They tell me in the class to listen to some. Um, and then I like to listen to, uh, Carlin's hardcore history. I don't know. If I love Dan one. Carlin. Dan Carlin? Yeah. You know, Dan Carlin, right? Um, He's awesome. And, uh, some of the, which, which ones have you listened to? Um, I know he has a couple, the, some of the ancient Rome ones. Um, they're really, really, they're like four hours yeah, long, five long. hour long podcast. Yeah. And then I think he did one on the Pacific theater in world war two, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, they are just wildly interesting and like these intricate, um, descriptions and he knows so much and does a, an insane amount of research. Um, and then beyond that, uh, what, I, what do you also, do you know what Dan Carlin does for a living? Because I thought, I thought he was a history teacher. Maybe is but he not, I don't, I don't know what he does. I, yeah, I didn't know. Now he know. probably just makes his podcast, right, but right. I think he spends, I've heard this recently. He spends almost a year 
planning the podcast uh-huh. before he delivers it and I, records it. I mean, it's an insane amount of content to just like put out there. Um, but people love it as they should. Um, and then other than that, I recently started listening to some of um, Sam Harris's podcasts who talks about like philosophy and things like that. Shout out to Mr. Baker who wanted me to listen to that. Um, we actually talked and, about Sam Harris on here. Yeah, he's he's pretty wild um, and says a lot of interesting things. I just listened to his podcast on free will. And uh, it's so complicated. It, it kind of went over you my ha- head. You honestly, have no free will. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that's the argument. Um, but when people hear that, they get all defensive and you know don't know how to respond. And that was kind of what I thought. But he does spell it out nicely uh, for us mere mortals. Um, so yeah, podcasts are great. <laughs> yeah, he has a book called Free Will that I read. It's really short. It's like maybe sixty pages, but he he kind of goes through it. That's one of his big mm-hmm. talking points. Is yeah. That you have no, you have no free. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty interesting. I love Sam Harris. He's he's great to listen to, um, and he talks about meditation, of course, which right. is interesting as well. Um, so, tell me a little bit about your experience at Gilman and when you came into Gilman yeah. as a student, and and maybe we could talk a little bit about this last year as a senior. It's been obviously very bizarre and strange, but some of the ways that you've been able to um, deal with the the covid during your senior year yeah. and uh kind of make it a memorable senior year nonetheless and find some silver linings mm-hmm. so so back to how i got to gilman i went to calvert school for um uh kindergarten through eighth grade um and they obviously have a pretty strong connection with gilman so i think uh 21 boys from my class at calvert and there were only 33 boys uh went to gilman which is a huge huge percentage um and uh you know, have have greatly enjoyed my experience, uh, freshman, sophomore, and then you know, junior year. Obviously, mid March we got shut down, and uh, and for me, um, I thought you know, my family and I uh, did a, a, a an okay job of sort of staying together, and we started having dinner more, and uh, you know, got a ping pong table for our backyard to sort of. Uh, lighten things up as we were doing uh, schoolwork. And actually, I feel like I stayed pretty busy during last spring. You know, teachers were still assigning work and um, there were things to do. Uh, and then this senior year, been a few things to, to, you know, keep my mind on. I was the editor of the Gilman News, which was a pretty cool experience. Um, and then uh, also doing this podcast, whether it be in this studio or um, just over Zoom and we would like record it. And then also uh, just, you know, in the last month and a half, uh, being on the golf team has been uh, pretty great. You know, we didn't really get to have a season last year. Um, and I know I feel bad for some of my fellow seniors who didn't really get a fall season this year or a, a winter season. Um, I know basketball had some games, but still it was sort of compressed and there was no playoff. Um, and it's it's meaningful to have a, a sports, a real sports season because you just get to connect so much with your peers. It's It's genuinely fun, but at the same time, um, you you make these connections and have these experiences that you can take with you for the rest of your life. So um, it's it's been a good senior year, I think. Um, really, really enjoyed my classes and teachers. I think that's you know uh, most of all uh, has has made this year. Um, You've had than, some great classes this year. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And um, I can get into that in a second. But just like you know, having good classes and and making connections with the teachers uh, this year has made um, this like academic year probably one of my favorites ever. So even even being partially virtual. Really? Wow. Um, what was the hybrid 
start like for you having to kind of learn at home and come in a couple days a week and it sounds like you've managed everything pretty pretty well with with not too many issues this year yeah it it was um it was fine i mean i i uh, wanted to come in as much as i could I, i live pretty close by so sometimes you know walk or drive but um just coming into school was always nice because uh, I think I and many others do prefer, you know, in-person learning. You get to raise your hand, which is a little easier than like unmuting on Zoom. Um, and all teachers at Gilman did, a, or at least that I had, did a really good job of adapting to uh, having kids on Zoom and in the room. Um, but just like having a few students around you and sitting down and actually raising your hand, I thought um, has always suited me a little bit better. But I, I still got a lot out of virtual classes. You know, um, I found that they sort of give structure to your day in a time when you can lack structure. I made sure always to um, take classes in a different room than my bedroom because uh, if you're living in that small of a space, things can just get a little not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, was always, I feel like actually uh, Zoom made me a little bit more, um, you know, organized and because it's like, all right, you got to be at that class at 11:20, and you know you can have lunch after that, but still. Uh, you got to go to assembly and, you know, it just made me sort of punctual um, it, in a way that was it before. easy for you to get distracted, uh, like taking classes on Zoom for an hour at a time, like with things popping up? Or is there a way that you went about kind of managing just working from the computer and not getting distracted? Because it is so easy yeah. to go on another tab and start reading something else and go on Twitter and Instagram I, and texts are popping up, you know? Yeah, I have seen people, you know watch like YouTube or something like that or play games during class, which is definitely easy to do. And I've done it a few times before, but like, I feel like um, just listening to the teacher, uh, taking notes, I kind of, I've always found taking notes to be this sort of relaxing and helpful approach to classes Um, and like pen and paper notes. Like I could never do notes on like Google Docs or anything. Um, And I always felt that that sort of kept kept me focused, and uh, I would always leave my phone in another room usually, and uh, and it was you know it it just I you know just wanted to empathize with the teachers. They don't want kids texting or playing games in class, and um, and if you do, you're you're missing out on what you're learning for the day. Why do you prefer handwriting notes over typing your notes? Because typing is a little bit more efficient. It's quicker. It's faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. And you can copy and paste helpful things. I don't know. I, I think there's been research done that, you know, suggests actually writing it down helps you commit it to memory a little bit more. And also that was just how I grew up doing it. Um, you know, in middle school, we'd always have to write notes, especially in math class. So um, I have just like binders full of papers. It's not as eco-friendly. I'll give you that. But um, I just uh, I also like to annotate uh, books quite a bit. So um you know, just like writing those things down and making like the connections have always helped my brain, I guess, to, you know, learn a little bit better. No, I'm with you. I, I think I prefer writing things down a little bit more too, because you, you really have to process what's, because you can't write everything down. Your your hand doesn't move that fast. Whereas on a keyboard, you could just like type everything. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to pick and choose what's important. That, that's a skill. Yeah. Um, and, and also in this time of Zoom, I have always just like missed the amount that teachers like pass out papers. I remember the other day, Mr. Baum uh, in us since 60 gave us, um, like a, a paper, uh, review of some book that we were about to read. And he was like, Hey guys, you know, I'm passing out paper. It's been a long time, but I love that. Cause, um, that just reminds me of, of how school for me has always been. And, uh, mm-hmm. and 
I, you know, we all go on our screens enough. Uh, I try to limit that as much as possible. So another reason that I don't love typing notes out and, um, you know, I try to do homework on pen and paper, usually only with math that I can do that, but, um, never, never loved the computer notes. Who, who are some of your teachers? So you mentioned bomb, but who else do you have this year and, and what has made those teachers during your senior year, the most memorable, uh, year of school, as you said so yeah. far. So I have Mr. Baum for us and 60. I have Mr. Broadus for Latin lyric, uh, Mr. Baker for Cormac McCarthy. And, uh, back in the first semester, I also had him for American sixties literature. Um, I have Miss Johnston at RPCS for AP Psychology and Mr. Jacobs for, uh, for calculus here. So, um, all five of them have just been wonderful. Um, really good, uh, adapting to the online things and, uh, just all, all of them are so exceptional at getting their students engaged, getting everyone to participate, um, and, and just contributing to, to learning. I feel like, um, I really haven't had any negative teacher experiences here at Gilman. I feel like all of them have been so great to me, but, um, the, the five this year have been such a strong repertoire. I actually, uh, first semester, you know, had signed up to take Mr. Baker's class. And then I think, you know, as a junior, you sign up like March. So this was actually in person pre COVID last year that, uh, we were signing up for classes and I signed up for some other class. And at the, and by October or November, I was like, I need to take Mr. Baker's second semester class. I would be doing myself and him a disservice. It would be, it would just be so sad. And I never even met him before. We just sort of established a connection. And, uh, and I, some strings were pulled and I guess some people left the class. So I got to take uh, Cormac McCarthy, which is my book for today. Um, and that's been incredibly meaningful to me. And, uh, probably one of my favorite classes that I've ever taken. How many books have you read in that class? So we started with Child of God, and then we read Blood Meridian, which took a while. Blood Meridian then, is so hard. I was talking to Baker about that on the podcast because I, yeah. I read it last summer. And I like, was thinking about bringing it in, but he he brought it in before me, um, so I had to bring in this. I, I think I like The Road as much, if not more. Um, it's just Blood Meridian is like probably the hardest book I've ever had to read except so for yeah, except for Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. I remember my sophomore year, Miss Carper, uh, who uh, was a great English teacher for me, um, said right before we started reading it, like, guys, this might be the hardest thing you read like in your scholarly career. And I think she's right, um, but Blood Meridian challenges it because uh, you just have so much density, so many questions to ask that aren't answered. Um, you know, so many complex characters. How do you deal with the judge, the kid? Um, and, uh, and it, to anyone listening to this, I would highly, there, there are so many great senior electives. Um, and I know juniors have pretty much already, you know, submitted their schedules, but if you can somehow take, um, some sort of, you know, literary theory class in your life, it, it would be a great, you know, benefit to you, whether it be Cormac McCarthy or something in college, because, um, we're not all philosophers, but reading and, um, you know, delving into those deeper questions, uh, it's a really cool experience. And, um, and the teachers that teach those types of classes are usually pretty passionate and interesting about it as well. Um, and they can really help you get a lot out of the experience, which is what, you know, I've seen so far. So I definitely want to take, uh, Justin Baker's classes. I want to be in there, but um, tell me about what he does in the classroom that you think works so well or what he's done this year that has really helped you as a student. 
Yeah. So uh, I remember going back to 60s literature in the first semester. Um, he uh, would just bring in so many different eclectic elements into the class, which helped us all sort of form these connections. So uh, there was a huge focus in that class on music. So every day, like before the class, we would listen to a song. Um, he's, you know, a huge record guy uh, and would talk about like the Rolling Stones. And actually the end of that class, you know, even though it's a literature course, we didn't even write about uh, a book. It was a um, album review, which is like one of my favorite projects that I've done throughout high school. I wrote about uh, Let It Bleed by the Rolling Stones. Um, and uh, he he took that. We read like James Baldwin, Sylvia Plath, um, and Kurt Vonnegut and, and more. And just sort of taking a lot of events uh, that you don't read about in history class um, and, you know, giving you a much more sort of comprehensive picture of what culture was like um, during that decade. And I feel like you could you could do that with any time period, really. Um, and learning about, you know, more than just John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Baines Johnson and, and you know, delving deep into what was going on in American cities and, um, you know, what artistic movements were happening that gives you that's just as much history as you know who the president was and what they did at the time it's almost like american studies class where you're getting the full picture on what was happening in the time period what music was playing who was in office what books people were reading poetry all kinds of things that really create the whole picture of the 60s i i love that model it's Americans. such a good decade to do it too like, yeah i mean I, I did say that you could do it with any time there was so much going on in the 60s both culturally and politically that was interesting and meaningful and 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 to build a class around that to build you know only a one semester class around that um made it uh, pretty interesting for sure. So that's has to has helped you with bombs. US oh, yeah, since, yeah. Is it 1945 or So it used to be 45. So this is the first year that he did since 60 because I think he said um, he just kept losing time on, you know, the 2010s. And we did learn about Obama and uh, to, to a lesser extent uh, the, the Trump presidency because it was sort of going on um, as we were taking the class in the first semester. Um, and yeah, it definitely has helped. There's been a lot of times, I think we were reading about Betty Friedan and I, and no one knew who it was. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, we read about her in sixties literature and, um, and, uh, you know, reading, uh, Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut definitely helped my understanding of the cold war. Cause, um, the book is, you know, sort of a parable for nuclear Holocaust and things like that. Um, and, uh, I love history anyway. So, um, both classes sort of fed off each other in, in a nice way. So I was talking to Charlie Nuremberger about his senior speech, and it was one of my, one of my favorite ones, and, and I really enjoyed his message. But your senior speech was also also amazing. And, and maybe for people who weren't on that webinar, that, that, um, that Zoom senior speech, which is a shame that we can't be in person to, to see that, but I think really came through, and I, I loved it. I think all the teachers for sure loved it at Gilman, but – Maybe you could just summarize what your message is and what point you're trying to get across in that yeah. in that speech. So uh, if you couldn't tell already, pretty passionate about teachers and teaching. Um, and that's pretty much what I wrote about. I wrote about, I'm going to get this number wrong, but I think seven teachers who particularly um, you know, impacted my Gilman experience. Um, I know, uh, you know Mr. Ms. Carper, Mr. Molina, Mr. Baum, Mr. Baker, Mr. Broadus, who has you know, made Latin something that I, I I'm probably want to continue doing in college. Um, and, and many more just about how, um, they've shaped my life more than, than anyone else really. And, and I think, um, a lot of students here, 
while they might not think about that, probably it, 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 that's the, that's the case for them. Um, I mean, teachers uh, for me have been so impactful um, and and have made me want to you know consider being a teacher when I grew up. Um, and you know, I get a lot of looks when I say that, but um, <laughs> yeah, and I have you know I have two teachers in here, um, but the tangible effect of teaching on young people is so great. And, um, you know, uh, there, there are just few professions and few occupations where, um, you can in a, in a nice way affect someone's life, um, quite like a teacher. And, and, and that doesn't mean you have to be one. I mean, uh, I know Mr. Molina told me, you know, do something you, you love or, or do something that you need to do right after college and then come be a teacher. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be something immediate. Um, and, um, I really liked that message. And, uh, and, you know, another part of the speech was just sort of appreciate your teachers, you know, during these times because, uh, they're working really hard. I'm guessing like you were a teacher here during my junior year. I know, um, are you working harder in this year than, than any other year? I would say yes. I think it's a lot more time intensive in terms of preparing, Mm -hmm documents and yeah. putting them on canvas and sending emails and just kind of navigating the online world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm, I would say I'm working harder. It's just a little bit more tedious than showing up in the classroom with our books or right. whatever it is we're talking about that day. It's a lot of coordination right now. It's basically for me trying to figure out what classroom I'm in, who's in person, who's on digital for the day. So I think it's a lot of that this year, but, um, I think we, I, yeah. we made it work for yeah. sure. So I, I, I remember the one teacher I forgot who I mentioned in the speech was Mr. Fitzgibbon, who um, I've always been a, more of a humanities and languages person. Uh, you know, STEM has I, I, it's been fine, but it's just not ever been you know something that I've been super passionate about or loved. Um, but he made honors bio like the best class ever and uh, just loved learning. He was so, you know, hands on and knowledgeable and like genuinely passionate about the material. And um, that made uh, like biology something that, you know, we could be excited to go to class for every day, which is which is like that's that's just great. I mean, you know, dreading classes um, is, you know kind of a brutal part of, of a school day. And uh, if you don't have to do that because you have great teachers and you have a good attitude about learning itself, then you can you can make that experience a lot more enjoyable. So you listed seven different teachers from your Gilman experience, and they all have different personalities. They all have different teaching styles. What do you think is kind of the common thread amongst all the teachers that you feel really had an impact on you? And w- what do they do in the classroom that um, is so effective, would you say? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I would say uh, all of them, you know, are are teaching material and then also making connections outside of of the material. So, um, you know, in English last year with Mr. Molina, we would be reading Huck Finn and then he would uh, show us um, some, like he would show us, I know, the YouTube video for Jay-Z's 444, or sorry, the story of OJ. Um, and, and make these interesting connections. Miss Carper was, was always the same way. And, um, when, when you can do that and so, so making connections and then also all of them are so exceptionally not every teacher at Gilman is so exceptionally knowledgeable about the material and, you know, passionate about it. They, they care that you learn it. Um, and, uh, I think those things really make learning from them a, a, an easier experience 
but at the same time, a more significant experience to me because um, you just get so much out of the class when you come in with an open mind and you hear these different perspectives, um, even if it's on something objective like math. Uh, if you can teach math in a way that has students engaged and asking questions, then that's that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I've really found some some awesome teachers. Yeah, it's something that I picked up in that master's program that I did uh, coming into Gilman was call it, I guess, the hook of the class. And mm-hmm. I think that the first five to 10 minutes of the period are really important because yeah. you, you have to get everyone's attention. And maybe it's not directly related to what you're actually talking about or doing right. during the, the bulk of the class. But if you can get 16, 17 year old guys focused on something interesting or something they care about, right? You'll have them for the rest of that period. 80 minutes is a long time to, uh, to sit to around. Keep a group. We're teenage boys. I mean, we want to get up and yeah, that's, that's especially with the computers in front of you. Right. Now. Right. Um, that's, that's so true. Have you, uh, I, I know not many of my teachers do this anymore, but back in the beginning, it was like there was a little five minute break in the middle of class to, you know, let people stand up. I think that's good uh, to help people refocus when they come back. Or, you know, some people just say like, you know, we have 80 or 70 minutes to work with, but I'm going to let you off at 50 minutes or 60 minutes and you can just go do some work related to the class for 10 or 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. I think that that's just as good. Through Zoom, through your uh, hybrid learning or your classes on Zoom, are there any kind of practices that you think are pretty effective? I, I was thinking the other day about the the chat box that I don't use that much, but I think... For a class that maybe isn't as talkative or you only have the same couple of students speaking, especially in English classes, for the majority of the time, having like requiring everyone to write in the chat box just to stimulate everyone Mm -hmm. because it is easy easy to lose guys. Like sometimes I have a guy going off the camera. I don't know what what he's doing. He's going to the fridge, you know, he's making eggs and he's coming back and it's like, where'd you go? Right. So trying to get everyone engaged through Zoom is hard, but I think there are practices out there especially this year that teachers are getting down and are effective yeah i mean whatever practices that are you know teachers find that are effective um probably need to start being used because uh i feel like virtual learning even you know after covid will still be something um that that could be used pretty widely because now we realize we have the capacity to do it even if we prefer in person but still right there are no snow days yeah exactly very true yeah um Still, I would say uh, I know Mr. Baum likes to do this at the beginning of a lot of classes. He'll have uh, everyone write in the chat like some interesting fact that they you know found from the reading or that they know about the 70s or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, that just sort of gets everyone going. And, uh, you know, it can be tired. You know, if you're if it's 8 a.m. and, you know, you're a teenage boy waking up from five hours of sleep, you can be kind of tired. So just sort of getting you engaged. And um, that's that's what really matters, because then. You're not as scared or annoyed to raise your hand and uh, contribute to the class because for me, the best classes are when you're having class-wide discussions and everyone's participating because you get those different perspectives and you get new opinions and facts that you haven't heard before that make you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a pretty huge part of learning. So let me ask you a question. You talked about your interest in becoming a teacher and you love school. So do I, if you, if you were to come back to Gilman at some point and teach a senior elective class, is there a specific subject or, or time frame or area that you would want to, um, 
to teach yeah it chooses I, elective so uh latin has has always been something that i've been really interested in um i think i would want to do some sort of class connecting uh roman mythology to modern literature um where you see uh it's 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 everywhere um you know just uh, mythological illusions and um things like that uh, are just permeated throughout like all facets of literature and, and culture. So I know um, the song Ramble On by Led Zeppelin is about the Hobbit. Um, and, uh, you know, there are so many songs kind of like that that are about, um, you know, mythology and fiction and things like that. Uh, and it's very cool to, to see that. And, you know, Cormac McCarthy um, himself is littered with biblical allusions and um and and Roman and Greek mythology as well. Um, and to get a you know full comprehension of those books, um, it would be cool for for someone to really understand that that mythology. Where'd your interest in Latin uh, spring from? When so, did that start? Yeah, so had a great eighth grade teacher at Calvert School. All eighth graders at Calvert, uh, you know, are supposed to take Latin. His name was Mr. Norton. He used to work here, um, and. He was just uh, this really great and jovial guy who uh, taught Latin in a way that I could understand. And I wasn't even sure if I would take it in high school, but I was like, all right, whatever, I'll take it. Um, and I've had Mr. Broadus for sophomore, junior, and senior year, and he's been um, incredibly meaningful to me, uh, just uh, reading poetry and, um, and like we read the Aeneid last year by Virgil. Um, and all of that is, uh, you know, people, some people can find just translating the poems and talking about it a little monotonous or boring, but, um, I think it's really interesting to see both like literary techniques that they used and, and stylistic flair and stuff like that. I'm not sure if you're into poetry, but, uh, I'm guessing you are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, as an English teacher. Yeah. And then also the historical and like cultural significance of each of those things, um, so it was pretty no-brainer for me to take Latin lyric this year, where we discussed like lyric poetry of um, Catullus and Horace. Uh, and then in college, I'm pretty sure I want to do you know expand a little bit farther on that. Study Latin, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know any Greek, so um, you know, majoring in classics or whatever. I have no idea what I'm going to major in, but um, it's all right. You've got you've got a few years before you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, what was the, what was the college process like for you this year, and maybe? I'm sure it will be a little bit different for these juniors coming into their senior year, but maybe what advice would you give a junior who's trying to figure out what am I supposed to do now that, you know, I can't really go to, to campus and walk around and try to figure out where I want to go. It's, it's a little bizarre right now in terms of applying to colleges and figure out the next step. How would you maybe um, help a, a junior or underclassman with that process during COVID? Yeah. So, so first off would be like, keep your options open. If you had an idea of, in sophomore year, like, oh, I'm, I'm totally going to go to Hopkins or something like that. Maybe, you know, you know, maybe apply, but also look at some other places. Um, and I think uh, actually now college campuses and some tours are opening back up. So um, that would be uh, hugely important. Pretty much every school that I applied to, I was lucky enough um, throughout like junior year pre-COVID to have toured, mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, definitely helpful to get a better sense of what the school was like, what the programs were like. But then also uh, school websites are so um, well done because mm -hmm. these, these uh, 
admissions people know that that's how a lot of people will be introduced to their schools via the website and, you know, the categories of study that they have. Um, and so you can gain a lot from, from, from websites. Uh, also, I would say um, just on the college process in general, it's really stress laden um, and you can help yourself out with two things. One would be not procrastinating too much. So uh, I'm not great with procrastination, but I remember like all of the essays due January 1st. We tried to finish like December 27th or something. Thank you to Miss Follinsby. She's the greatest person ever um, for helping me out with that. Uh, and secondly, um, would be uh, it, Mr. Baker gave an assembly on this literally yesterday. It, it doesn't define your worth or your intellectual worth like in any way. Um, so the college process itself is um, how good you are at the college process. Um, and uh, obviously that doesn't mean, you know, don't focus on school. School is incredibly important and, and learning and things like that. But um, like a, a standardized test score could not define a person less. I mean, it, it, it uh, I'm not saying don't take them or don't try, but um, if you, if you don't get results that you want, it means pretty much nothing about like who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would hundred percent agree. Um, it is a stressful time though. It's a stressful mm -hmm. first couple of months, I guess, I guess the full year of senior year is you're just yeah. trying to figure out that next step. And for, for me, it was just like the amount of emails. I've, I've always been stressed out by emails because I always think it's like, Oh, you did something wrong. You got an email. Um, and, uh, the college process has infinitely many emails. So just be wary of that. Um, but it just goes from like September and then there's a, there's a, a bit of a lull from like November to when you actually get, uh, most people are applying early, your early decision back. Uh, I didn't get the news I wanted for early decision. Um, so, you know, my process took until April. Um, but it's, it's just a grind. And, um, I, I guess you just got to embrace it, uh, because you don't really have a lot of other options. So Penn is a phenomenal place and congratulations Thank on you. getting in there. That's awesome. You're going to love Philadelphia. What was it about Penn when you were on campus your sophomore year, you said? Uh, I went back. So I went my uh, like February of 2020. So I was pretty lucky to get there like right before oh, nice. uh, things went down. And then also um, what's really funny about Penn is I went with my brother to visit uh, back in like February of 2017, a really long time ago, and uh, got this hat at the Penn School store and would wear it around all the time. Um, a, a lot of people uh, at the course, the golf course that I play, I would always wear it and they'd be like, oh, what's your connection to Penn? And I'd be like, absolutely nothing. I just liked the look of the hat. Uh, so it was kind of funny that it came full circle and now, I was, uh, now I'm going. But That's awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, they have um, so many great departments, a really great community. I love the urban vibe of Philadelphia and where the campus is. Um, you know, their classics department is pretty, uh, pretty amazing, um, which is important to me. Uh, humanities, of course, um, I've heard so many great experiences about it, which I guess you can say of, of any school, but, um, it was just, uh, after I took the tour, I just kind of knew that that was, that was where I wanted to go. And I, you know, honestly, this is probably the right word to use. I was, I was a little bit lucky, you know, I, I got in, I know plenty of students, um, who would be great, great students, uh, that, that unfortunately didn't. And, um, that's just kind of how it goes. And uh, again, you, it doesn't really define you, but, um, back to actually Penn, uh, it just, 
it just felt right. I, mm-hmm. I, I guess I can't say. I mean, it's really a feeling, right? When yeah. you get on the campus and uh-huh. you can kind of see yourself that, there. That's the operative phrase. Yeah, I, I saw myself there more than anywhere else. I think, and um, you know, just an intellectual community with a, a social scene, um, and they like to call themselves the social ivy. And I don't know. I think that's kind of weird because you went to Harvard, and I'm sure there was a good social scene at Harvard. But I, I've heard Penn is is the the top. Yeah, it's the maybe. place you want to be. But I'm from Philadelphia, so I'm a little oh, really? outside of Philadelphia. So okay. so bias, and I love I love Penn's campus. I love Philadelphia. So yeah, you're gonna have a great time. There. What are you What are you looking forward to the most for the next four years? Um, just like a, a, a fresh start, I think, um, you know, getting to meet so many new people and making new bonds with teachers uh, and uh, acclimating to a new, maybe not new culture, but just a new location, really. Yeah. Um, Close is, enough, though. And you could get yeah. home if you mm-hmm. need to. Yeah. Great. You know, take the train. Uh, having a car in Philly would probably be a, yeah. a tough proposition. No. But, um, the uh, just prospect of being in a new place living there and and making those new connections with teachers um with classes and with people um i think is is something to be really excited for and for that's really the same for pretty much anyone going to college uh and then at penn specifically i mean you know ivy league athletics i know you were a part of that always fun to watch Uh, (laughs) and uh there, there's just going to be a lot of cool stuff to do. Yeah, a lot to do, a lot to see, a lot to get involved with. So it's going to be awesome. Um, so as you look back on Gilman and your time here, your four years at Gilman School, what, what do you think you're going to miss the most? Or what really makes Gilman so unique that um, you'll you'll kind of keep in mind as you move forward and, and go through college? Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I have very few classes left. I, I think I think there are like the, four or five for seniors now. Yeah, they they said this morning I was taking I was in math and Mr. Jacobs was like, "Yeah, seniors, you guys have the AP exam on Tuesday." And I was like, "What? That's my it, that's so soon." Um so I'm definitely going to miss it. Uh what exactly I'm going to miss? I think um the uh just like everyone having such great empathy of each other here. Everyone really cares what you're doing, um whether it be teachers or students. And they, they want to talk to you. They want to connect with you. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they'll come watch you at sporting events or at the musical or, um, you know, I, I've done GTV with uh, Cesare here. And that's been really cool to go see my friends play and capture them on videos uh, to keep that forever. Um, and uh, it's just a really special environment where, you know, you make these um, connections, I keep using that word, that connections with other people and, uh, and, and they're, they're really strong. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've just gotten to know you and Mr. Baker and, uh, pretty much all my teachers just this year. And I feel such a strong bond with all of them. Um, and, uh, that's, that's unique. I yeah. Think. Yeah. You cared for here and, and, you know, you're appreciated and it's a small enough community where everyone kind of knows what mm-hmm. each other are doing, whether yeah. that's the arts or athletics or classes even. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's something to, to cherish these next couple of weeks for sure. And, you know, and, and look back on as you move forward. In, yeah, I'm, in I'm the next step. I'm definitely glad that uh, we're, we're all so thankful that, you know, the administration and and people like that are trying to make this, you know, last few months really meaningful and special for us. Uh, I think we're getting a prom in June and 
we got a lot of special events coming up, which is uh, really cool. Got to see the hypnotist, which was a blast. Um, yeah, and, tell me about that because I haven't seen that, and I I don't really know what all the the fuss so, is about so, with so the hypnotist. So I, I have a, I take psychology, and my psychology teacher the next day, uh, Trevor Weiner and I were talking to her about it, and uh, and well, for, she was like she was she was really skeptical about it. And so, so for people who haven't seen it, it's pretty much a guy comes in, he takes, uh, we, we, uh, the entire senior class was there. So he takes 11 um, people up to the stage area. Really, it was just sort of an opening, sits them down and, and performs hypnosis on them. And it's not what you think. It, it's a longer process um, and it's way more effective than you think. Like these people were, were, were kind of controlled, I mean, by this guy um, in, a, in a cool way. And eleven students, eleven yeah, seniors, eleven diff- they're all standing like, in a line, sitting, sitting in a line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. they, he would be like, and sleep. And as, after a while of you know trying to get them to do this, uh, he would snap, and they would, their heads would bow, and they would be in some sort of, uh, I think, conscious state. He he described it as like um, conscious, but like below the level of normal consciousness or something like that. And you're, you're skeptical. I know Sub- you are. Subconscious and, state. Yeah, yeah, something like Wait, that. Wait, so. So tell me, can you hear what he's saying to the 11 candidates yeah, as you're sitting so, in the so crowd? I sat in the crowd. Unfortunately, I didn't get picked. But um, you absolutely can hear what he's saying. And he, he makes it a show. Like he wants you to be entertained even if you're not you know, being hypnotized. So what is he saying to the 11 people at once as, as it's leading up to the sleep now part? Um, you, you're so relaxed. You're... You're falling deeper and deeper, and and and, and it's funny, and I can't um, describe it well enough. But if you were to be there, you would you would get it, and um, go if you can in the future because uh, I definitely is, want to. It yeah. is amazing, and one of like the craziest things I have ever seen. Um, so that was uh, again, thank you for for uh, the I think the Gilman Alumni uh, Foundation does that for us and that was that was just an awesome experience the hypnotist that's a that's a silver lining of this year are there are there some other silver linings you can think of of a a senior year that wasn't exactly what you probably expected but still has you know some great moments and memories yeah so um you know getting to give a senior speech in person not uh over the computer was was great um i would say uh having you know, a full golf season like we're doing uh, has been has been really cool and uh, very much a silver lining. Um, I would say just um, coming in and, and going to like the South Tent or lunch and just seeing everyone and talking um, is just a great thing to do on a daily basis and uh, or I guess three out of five days of the week uh, mm-hmm. for most of the year. Um and I got to go, uh, you know, not Gilman related, but I got to go to the one Ravens home game. Um, so that was definitely, you know, something that uh, didn't expect to be able to do. But mm-hmm. um, I think next year, man, you know, I'm not going to be here, but I think uh, there there could be a pretty normal experience, which would be really cool. Yeah. Hope so. Hope mm-hmm. things yeah. change a little bit this summer and we get back to to normal. And we talked a little bit about The Road, yeah. Cormac McCarthy. It's- so this is my book, Cormac McCarthy, The Road. He wrote it in uh, 2006, one of his uh, later books. Um, the third one we're reading, uh, one of the best books I've ever read. So to give a very light summary, it's essentially a father and a son um, who are on, who are in this sort of post- I don't want to say apocalyptic, but post 
uh, disaster world mm-hmm. um, and everything is gray and cold and they're on this road, they're walking together and it's pretty much just, you know, a, a, a fight to stay alive. But then there are many different ethical questions that are asked throughout um, the writing style is very beautiful and, um, and sort of intricate. Uh, he pulls a lot of biblical scenes, as I mentioned before, and then ties that into uh, the story itself. Um, and I would, I would highly recommend it. It's, it seems relevant for any time period. Um, you know, there's, there's no prerequisite to reading it. Uh, it's, it's sort of simple as a story. And there are lots of, um, you know, uh, symbols like the sun and, uh, the journey and things like that, that are common across all literature. Uh, but he twists it a little bit and makes it, um, a little bit interesting. What are some of the questions that you guys talk about in terms of making this book about a father and a son in a desolate disaster, pretty dark and heavy read, right? Pretty dark and heavy landscape. How do you, how does Mr. Baker make this text real for the class and make it relatable for you guys to discuss? Yeah. So um, one of the good questions is uh, there's a scene where they come across some other people that they found and uh, it's the first time that they interact with anyone else. Um, and, uh, essentially I won't spoil it, but the, the, the father, after they see these people say like, oh, we're the good guys. And Mm -hmm. the son is like, why are, why are we the good guys? And, um, it's, it's like, because we're carrying the torch and whatever that means, like, you know, how do you define yourself as the good guys? Um, you know, we in America think we're the good guys, but some people around the world would think differently. And, and it's the same with a lot of groups, you know, we as Ravens fans think we're the good guys, but. Steelers fans would would disagree um and uh just like those those questions of like defining yourself uh what is what is good and bad and then another question unrelated more philosophical was um you know these these two people in a desolate land with no one else other than say for a few scenes with literally no one else do they this is going to sound weird do they really exist like you have each other, yes, but when you don't have anyone else to interact with, are you empathetic? Are you kind? You're not showing it because you can't be kind to no humans. Um, and uh, and just like the question of uh, do you have an identity and do you exist when no one else is there? Hmm. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I love that book. And actually, I have it in my curriculum. I, I chose not to teach it at the end of last year because I felt like the, the time was so heavy as it was. Mm-hmm. And just to give that to my <laughs> – it's the last book that we read in English 11 curriculum. And Really? Okay, so you guys are now reading this. Because I remember Melina, we read Huck Finn, which no, a few few other teachers actually read because he, he wrote uh, mm-hmm. his book, Jim Huck. Yeah, we talked about uh, we talked about Huck Finn on his episode. Yeah, and then we also read like Gatsby and Handmaid's Tale was really good and uh, Ragtime by E.L. Doctorow. That's a really good book. I like that one, but I didn't know you guys were reading The Road. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a great one. I just, uh, it is, it is, it feels heavy when you're reading yeah. it. So I didn't know. Have you guys I'm, started? Not yet. No, okay. we're, we're, f- finishing a couple of plays, Death of the Salesman. We just oh, got yeah. through. I and, read that um, uh, last year. Then another play called Between Riverside and Crazy. Okay. So we're going to try to s- squeeze the road in. Yeah. But, but it, it, it is a it is a heavy one. Uh-huh. It does. It, it is heavy, but it reads really quickly because the, it does. <laughs> the font yeah, yeah. size is huge and there's, there's a spaces. lot of – Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it's just really compelling to read. Like you, you have to know what happens next, even if it's nothing. Um, and 
uh, yeah, I found that I, you know, read this book a lot faster than a lot of other ones. Is there another McCarthy novel that you want to get to next or since this so, is the last one of the course, right? Yeah. I've heard of, uh, Sutri, which is one of his earlier books and it's, it's very different to a lot of the other ones. I think it's like supposed to be somewhat funny and, um, I don't know. I, I, I want to see Cormac from a maybe not life and death perspective, like the three books that we've read so far have been. Um, and then also No Country for Old Men. I, I haven't even heard much about that, but I know it's like his, one of his most famous works. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, uh, yeah, he, he just speaks to me in a way, maybe it's just because it's being taught by Mr. Baker, but um, he just speaks to me in a way that a lot of authors haven't before. Um, it's like sort of simple yet really complicated writing. Um, and uh, he makes you think like so much um, in ways that, you know, maybe Huck Finn makes you think, uh, but that's only one book and he seems to do it with every work. Awesome. Teddy Conover, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's an awesome so time having, having you. Me. And uh, yeah, good luck with the next couple of weeks and, and I hope you have a good end to your senior year. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah.